All right, if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, please turn to Romans chapter 1. Last week, we spent our time going through verses 8 through 11, which were the first uh, three verses following Paul's introduction. We looked at these, as of course I always do, based on the historical context, but I also spoke of a few of the examples that Paul had demonstrated for you and for me. And so let's look back at those verses so we can be reminded of what Paul says, and then we will pick up in verse 11 this morning. Now, after Paul ended his introduction there in verse 7, he began in verse 8 with the word first, or for you and me, you might say first and foremost, but then he says, first, I thank the Lord. I thank the Lord for you, the Roman church. Now, as simple as that may be, as something you can just kind of read right, if you're reading your Bible, you would just blow right through that. So as simple as it might be, this is a really, really a good reminder um, of how we, just like Paul, ought to express our thankfulness to the Lord. Okay? I'm sure we know this. I'm sure everyone in this room would agree with this. But how often do we prioritize this? How often do we say, you know, first things first, let me just thank the Lord for fill in the blank. Right? How often do we thank him for what he has already done, what he has already given us before we seek yet another request? It's important we thank the Lord. Now, I hope you noticed uh, what Paul expressed his thankfulness for. Still in verse 8, he says it was because of how their faith, there being the church at Rome, it was because of how their faith was reported, he said, all over the world. Now, as I stated last week, please understand this is, he's talking about an active faith, not a passive faith faith, okay? In other words, Paul is not saying that people everywhere were talking about how they got saved, okay? What he's speaking of was their testimony. It was their faith being lived out. That's what the people were talking about. Paul will actually mention this later in chapter 16, verse 19, where he simply says, everyone has heard about your obedience, that's what he's getting at. And so this church, these Christians were a, a standout, if you will, while living in a vile and depraved society. So unlike today where people see the church building, people see the architecture and whatnot, here what they saw was the character of those in the church building not necessarily just the building itself and how nice it is. Another example that Paul set for us was in verse 9. He said, God whom I serve with all my heart in preaching the gospel of his Son is my witness how constantly I remember you in my prayers at all times. Now, we already know here that Paul was a servant, right? Paul says, God whom I serve. We know that Paul was a servant. We already know that he was called by God to preach the gospel. We actually discussed this all in verse 1, 
okay? It's those, it's those four words with my whole heart that we should be thinking about. Some of your translations might say with my spirit, okay? But what he's talking about here is an inner drive. It is the devotion. It is the commitment that Paul had. You might simply say he gave it his all, as we would say today. If you've ever, ever, if you are faithful in studying the scriptures, you know that Paul was never accused of doing things half-hearted. You'll never see that in scripture. I stated actually a couple of weeks ago how uh, I believe Paul describing himself as a servant, which he does in verse one, that, that is what he valued the most. He was a servant of Jesus Christ. And therefore, whatever he did and wherever he did it, it was done, I believe, with that mindset of Colossians 3.23, which says, whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart as working for the Lord, not for men. I don't think those were just the words that Paul gave to the Colossian church. I believe he lived that out, and I believe you can see that throughout this text, okay? And so that, I believe, should run through our minds as well. Number one, who do we serve? And then secondly, how do we serve? Do we do it to the Lord? Do we do it with our whole heart? Or do we serve with a minimal effort? Do we serve as if it's something to get off my list, my to-do list? Things that we need to ponder when we see that. And then lastly, Paul speaks here in verses 9 and 10 of his prayer life, which honestly must have been tremendous, right? He prayed, Paul prayed for a lot of people. He prayed for a lot of churches. He says here in verse 9 how he constantly remembers them in his prayers at all times. You kind of see that that double statement, constantly and all the time, okay? As I mentioned uh, last Sunday, having a relationship with someone takes, well, as you know, two people, right? It's no different with God. It's no different with having a relationship with God. He speaks to us through his word. We speak to him through prayer, Okay? It's not very much of a relationship if only one of you is speaking, right? Try it at home. See how that flies for you. It doesn't really work that well. It must be both sides. God speaks to us. We have his word, but we must speak to him in prayer. Okay? We all know that studying the word of God is a very high priority. We put a high priority on it here at Discover. But also, how important is it that we spend time, that we simply talk, communicate with God, right? I mean, we're commanded in 1 Thessalonians 5 to pray without ceasing, right? We are to be in a, uh, to have a constant line open between us and God. Don't ever have this mindset of, well, I pray here and I pray here and that's it. 
You should never hang up the phone, if you will, with God. He's always on hold. Whether you're driving down the road, whether you're at work, whether somebody actually gives you a prayer request, or you see something going on in your job, your friend, an accident. I left my house this morning, three doors down, an elderly lady who lost her husband of 50 years uh, lives there alone now, and I saw an ambulance drive right out of the driveway this morning. I don't know what happened, but I just stopped and prayed. Her name is Rita. I don't know, but I just stopped and prayed for Rita. But any time, folks, we can always just stop and pray. And it's important that we understand that. You know, the old question was asked many years ago, what's more important, studying the word or spending time in prayer? And of course, the answer was, what's more important, breathing in or breathing out? In other words, they come together. It's a part of that relationship we have with the Lord, right? In addition to that, as Paul does right here, do we pray for others, right? Because this was Paul's point, how he constantly prays for the church. Do we spend time praying for others? Does your prayer list, whether it's written down or in your head, let me ask you this, does it concern some of the people here at Discover Church? And don't say, well, I don't know what's going on here at Discover Church. Well, that would be your fault. Ample opportunity. There's, we have prayers on Wednesday night. You sit down, you have lunch with people. We have our Bible study here at 9.30. There's always something to get to know people, what's going on. Maybe a loss of a job. Maybe a, a parent is ill with Mark. We all knew Mark at one time was in the hospital with, with COVID. You, know, you can pray for Joelle as she's going to deliver her second baby. I mean, there's always things we know to pray about, and do you do that? Do you pray for the pregnancy center? I bring that up all the time. Do you pray for the persecuted believers overseas? Those who are literally living a hell on earth. You know, for us, hell on earth are the high gas prices. Hell on earth is we see some wacky person out there holding a sign that says something really dumb or somebody calls you a name. They wish it was like that. How often do we pray for those people? Let me ask you this. How often do you pray for your pastor? Trust me, your pastor needs prayer. <laughs> Let's communicate with the Lord many times throughout the day. And let's do it with a selfless attitude, okay? In other words, when we pray, it's not just about our needs. It's for others. All right, now, from here, we're going to be looking this morning at verses 11 through 15, which revolves around Paul's desire to go visit this church. Okay, let's read those 11 through 15. Paul says, I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is, that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I planned many times to come to you, but have been prevented from doing so until now in order that I may have a harvest among you, just as I have had among the other Gentiles. I am obligated both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and to the foolish. That is why I am so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. Now, before we start in verse 11, I want you to back up just one verse to verse 10. Verse 10, this is where we ended last week in verse 10, where he said, I pray that now at last, by God's will, 
the way may be open for me to come to you. So simply put here, it's been on Paul's heart to come and to visit this church. But as you know, uh, Paul's calendar was always filled. He always had something marked in his calendar. He always had a place to see, a time to preach, people to share the gospel, travel, the whole thing. See, spend some time going back and look at the book of Acts and you will see that uh, his uh, schedule per se, it was hard to get an appointment. The man was non-stop, okay? That being said, Paul here in verse 10, he says here that it is God's will. He prays that it is God's will for this to happen. As much as I have going on, as much as the ministry that I can take, I still want to see and go visit the church in Rome. Now, going from that point right into verse 11, he begins to tell us why he wants them to visit. Okay? What's the reasoning for him to visit? He says in verse 11, I long to see you, listen, so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. Now, I'm sure many of you are not going to be surprised that there are some charismatic teachers out there who, uh, like they do with many scriptures, they want to force something into this text that is not there. Uh, Here, there are many who would like to uh, tell you that uh, Paul here is trying to pass on to them the supernatural gifts of the Holy Spirit. Whenever they see the word spiritual gifts, they always think of the supernatural gifts. And they think, well, that's what he's talking about. Paul wants to go there and give and the supernatural gifts. But as we can see from this text as a whole, as you know, we study it verse by verse, and there is nothing that says that. There is nothing that even implies that. As a matter of fact, it's just the opposite. Read verse 11 one more time. He says, I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to do what? To make you strong. Or maybe you might have to strengthen you. I want to do this to strengthen you. And even in verse 12, he says that is that you and I, listen, what's the purpose? That we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. That's the point. Paul wants to visit the church in Rome, right? Which, as you know, he had no part in starting this church, and he's never visited this church up to this point. So he says that he can spiritually strengthen them. Maybe you want to say bless them. Maybe you want to say encourage them. But imparting some spiritual gift is speaking of Paul sharing his gifts with them. Okay? How awesome would it be? They've never met Paul as an apostle. He's never been there. How awesome would it be for an apostle to come to the church in Rome and bless them with his gifts? Maybe that's teaching. Maybe it's preaching. Maybe it's encouragement, exhortation. Maybe it's leadership. Right? Or whatever it is that Paul wanted to bestow on these people. But folks, I I want to show you something, that this is the heart of Paul, okay? 
He is one of the most unselfish people that you're going to find in Scripture. Everything he did, every single thing the man did as a believer was for the salvation or the spiritual growth of others. Okay? I believe in Colossians chapter 1, verses 28 and 29, this is a good description, I believe, of his life goal. Okay? It's not just applied to the church in Colossae. I believe this is his life goal. He says that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. He says, to this end I labor, struggling with all his energy which so perfectly works in me. Folks, as you can see from all of the letters that Paul wrote in the New Testament, which, by the way, he wrote half of the New Testament, okay, Paul had a love for all believers, and he would do anything that might be beneficial to their walk or to their growth in Christ. I mean, going back to verse 1, he says, I am a servant of Christ. Here in verse 9, God whom I serve, this is what he is. This is what he does. In 1 Thessalonians, you can turn there if you want, but in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, read that for you. If I get there. All right. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, starting in the middle of verse 6, Paul says, As apostles of Christ, we could have been a burden to you, but we were gentle among you like a mother caring for her little children. We loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well because you had become so dear to us. Surely you remember, brothers, our toil and our hardship. We worked night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel of God to you. Folks, Paul was willing to do whatever it took in order that he might teach them, that he might be a part of their maturation. Okay? Why do you think he wrote these letters to the churches in the first place? He didn't write it for his own health. He didn't write it because he would get a book deal. Why do you think he spent all the time writing these letters to the churches? Folks, Paul did not want to visit this church to hand out spiritual gifts, okay? And that's besides the point that 1 Corinthians 12 tells us that's the job of the Holy Spirit. Off the top of my head, I think it says three times the Holy Spirit is the giver of spiritual gifts. And it says he does it as he determines. Don't watch these yahoos on TV, They think they can walk up to somebody as if they have the power to dish out the third person of the triune Godhead and what gifts people get. Folks, it's not what the Bible says. Paul was a giver of himself and he used the spiritual gifts that he had to bless, encourage, built up other people that were part of the body of Christ. 
And so from here, we move right now into verse 12. But I want you to notice here in verse 12, it's still the same sentence. We're going to change verses, okay? Still the same sentence, okay? So we're going to flow right off of verse 11. So I'm going to read it one more time. You should really know verse 11 by the time we finish this. He says, I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is, that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. Now, all of our translations, every one of them, have the same two words there at the beginning of this. Okay, And that, is, that are the words, that is. Everybody has the words, that is. Okay? Now, as you can see, these two words, it, it, if you read verses 11 going into 12, it seems to be Paul almost catching himself as if verse 11 might appear to be one-sided. Okay, I'm going there to bless you. Okay, But no sooner did he say that. No sooner did he say, I want to come to you to ultimately make you strong, right? To strengthen you. No sooner did he say that, he says, that is that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. Did you catch that? It's very seldom you'll see, uh, see him writing something like we today would just hit the delete button and say, well, uh, you know, let me phrase that differently. Paul just simply says, well, that is both of us. See, I hope we saw that because I believe Paul here, if anything, is showing his humility. Paul certainly has more to give than uh, this church in Rome. Spiritually speaking, Paul has more to give than this church in Rome. But it's important that both parties, Paul the apostle and this young church, know they needed each other. Okay? Did you catch that in verse 12? Folks, no matter where a person is at as far as their mature level, whether you're a 2 or a 9 on a scale of 10, no matter where you're at, being a blessing, being an encouragement does not flow one way. Okay? Paul says, no question in verse 11, as an apostle, as a lover of God, a lover of truth, somebody who can dish out biblical truth, I want to come there to build you up. I want to come there to strengthen you. But hey, listen, what does he say? We can be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. He catches himself in the same sentence okay that's why paul says i'm coming to strengthen you and that would be pretty cool but hey we can all be a part of this he's saying we can all be a part of this um, uh, mutually encouraging one another now all of us here understand that god used the apostle paul mightily right as Paul traveled, as you know, all over the known world at that time, sharing the gospel as well as equipping numerous people. I mean, the impact that Paul had on the first century was extraordinary. I mean, he lived a, a life that impacted people immeasurably. Just amazing. But he himself wasn't a perfect person. Ephesians 3.8, Paul says, look, at I am the least <laughs> of all God's people. In Philippians 3, 12 through 14, he says, I have not attained my goals yet. I'm not perfect, okay? I haven't arrived. 
Matter of fact, right here in Romans chapter 7, half the chapter is Paul telling us how he struggles with sin. Paul was human. He didn't have any spiritual pride. He's saying, you know what? You guys can encourage me as well. You guys can lift me up. You guys can even have somebody there teach me something who, who, kind of, who might come across as spiritually inferior. Just because someone has a knowledge base that's here doesn't mean somebody can't be a blessing to them that's here. And that's what Paul is saying. Folks, as I have said this many, many times throughout the years, um, whether you're mature in Christ or whether you're a brand new Christian, listen, we need each other. Do you understand that? We need each other. There's a reason why God calls us one body. And each of us is very important, he says, isn't it? We all play a part, Scripture says. As Paul says right here in verse 12, we can be mutually encouraged. We are the body of Christ. Once again, don't forget, we need each other. That's why these people who think they can live their life on Zoom thinking they can have church at home on their computer? Uh, no, you can't. You can watch a sermon. That's as far as you're going to get. See? If you have the opportunity to get to a local place of worship that teaches the Word of God, people need to get there because we need each other. It's very important. Well, as you know, these verses that we've been going through this morning, they all revolve around Paul's desire to go and visit the church in Rome. He says so obviously there in verse 10. He also says it in verse 11. Here in verse 13, he wants to make sure that we're all on the same page here, okay? He's telling his church, right, listen, I want to make sure we all understand what's taking place. So he says here, verse 13, he says, I do not want you to be unaware. Or you can flip that around and say, I want you to be aware. It doesn't matter how you do that. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I planned many times to come to you, but have been prevented from doing so until now. Okay? I come to you many times, listen, in order that I might have a harvest among you just as I have had among the other Gentiles. So number one, Paul wants them to know that he really does want to come and to see them. Okay? Matter of fact, if it was up to him, he would have already come. But what does he say? He says that he has been prevented from doing so. Okay? Now, he says here in this verse that he has planned many times to come. The words there, the two words many times in the Greek is just a numerical meaning, which means frequently. Okay? I've wanted to come to see you frequently is ultimately what that means. And so to me, that says it was always on Paul's mind, okay? You might say it was clearly written on his to-do list. I want to go visit, meet, teach, equip, be encouraged by the church in Rome. But at this point, knowing, we know that he has not made it to the church yet, right? So at this point, not being able to make it there yet, that means he was literally prevented from going every single time. Now, he doesn't tell us, 
or give us the reasons why he couldn't make it. I'm guessing there were probably many. That's just a guess, right? I mean, maybe Paul is going, you know what, I, last thing I want to do is go, well, the first time I couldn't get there because of this. The second time, these people came up and visited. The third time, I had to go, I don't think he's interested in doing that, but he doesn't say anything. But like, for example, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 18, Paul simply says, for we wanted to come to you, talking to the church in Thessalonica. We wanted to come to you. Certainly I, Paul did, again and again. But he says, but Satan stopped us. He just left it at that. Okay? So whatever these reasons were here that stopped Paul from getting to Rome, uh, was it the same situation? Was it, did he feel some kind of demonic forces? Uh, was it because he needed to share the gospel with other people? More people need to know about Christ who've never heard of him. But whatever it was, whatever it was, we need to understand, folks, that it just wasn't God's timing. If just get down to the brass tacks. It just wasn't God's timing. If it was God's will that Paul be in Rome, Paul would have been in Rome. Okay? But for reasons unknown, he chose not to open that way for Paul. God's plan was for him to be elsewhere. We don't always know what those are. That's why there's this thing called faith. There's this thing called trusting and knowing that it's all in the plan of God. It's what he wills or it's what he allows to happen because he already has a plan. I think back, think back to the Gospels. I don't have it in front of me, but think back to the Gospels. Jesus is sharing the gospel. Crowds come up, start listening to him. The Pharisees or those of the Sanhedrin, the, uh, the Jewish leaders come up and they're frustrated. They're mad. They want to arrest him. All of a sudden, do you remember this? Where they start closing in on Jesus. And all of a sudden, it, the text says, and Jesus slipped out through the crowd. It's like, what the, what, how, did, how, did, how did that happen? How did this, this group of people coming around because they want to arrest him, all of a sudden, there he goes. How did that happen? Very simple. Because that wasn't his time. It wasn't in the plan of God. God said, you're going to be born here. You're going to do all this ministry. And here you're going to die. You're going to be buried. You're going to rise again. And you will ascend to be back to me and sit at my right hand. But I want these things completed before that happens. Right? And so it wasn't his time. It wasn't in God's plan that he'd be arrested. You know, I'm, I'm looking at a, a line here, a timeline. It can't do it here because God says it's going to happen here. And I want things to take place in between that. We don't just get to come in and change that. And so here, it's just not his time that Paul would go to Rome. God is using Paul elsewhere. Matter of fact, later on here in Romans chapter 15, Paul says, he goes, I shared the gospel from Jerusalem to Illyricum. Three verses later, he says, this is why I have often been hindered from coming to you. So we know at least one reason. Once again, Paul is sharing the gospel with people. They're always running into people who don't know Christ, and that's what he's doing. That's his calling. Secondly, here in verse 13, he says he wanted to come to Rome that he might have a harvest 
among them like he had with other Gentiles. The word harvest there is to say that he might have spiritual fruit. Matter of fact, maybe some of your translations even say, just say fruit. Okay? Now, as he stated in verses 11 and 12, his intent was not to come for a social visit, was it? Hey, I came to see the, the, the Roman ruins. I came to cruise down the river, grab the inner tube, blah, blah. He wasn't there for a social visit, right? No different than what we discussed earlier. Paul traveled from city to city, from church to church. Yes, because that is what God called him to do. But he did so to benefit others. This was why God called him. I want you to do this and this and this and this and this. None of it was for Paul's self. Because I want to go on vacation. Because of this or that. He's always to help encourage others. Okay? Now here, he uses the word harvest. He uses the word, or you can say fruit. Okay? Paul wants a harvest among them. Okay? Now in Scripture, the word fruit can be literal, right? You know what fruit is. It could be an apple, it could be a peach, it could be anything like that. Okay, hence the word crop, hence the word harvest, right? That's what happens. You, you, the gathering of that fruit, it could be literal. It's also used, the word fruit or harvest, it's also used as uh, a result or an effect. Think of these words, you know them. The fruit of the Spirit. Okay? Not the fruit of you and me. I always say that. The fruit of the Spirit. That is the effect of God's working in and through us. The result will be love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and so on and so forth. Okay? That's the fruit. That's the result. That's the effect of the fruit of the Spirit. In us, that's what comes out of us, you see. Can also be used that way. Lastly, which is what we see here, it speaks of a profit. It speaks of, you might say, a gain. Okay? You might say that Paul wanted to go to Rome in order to gain souls. Right? That's how he's using it here to gain brothers and sisters in Christ. In. Um, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, many of you know this, this uh, section of Scripture. Paul said he became like the Jew. He became like one under the law. He became like one not having the law. He became like the weak, and so on and so on. It says he became all things to all men. You know this, right? So that he might save some. That's, that's what he's doing. As he says right here in verse 13, that has already happened with other Gentiles. Did you catch that? He says it's already happened with other Gentiles, and he would like to see the same thing happen in Rome, which was a predominantly Gentile area. He wants to see lives change. He wants to see people come to Christ. And he wants to come to Rome. Now, in addition to that, as we spoke of in the earlier verses, I don't want us to forget this, okay? He also wanted to see fruit in the church, okay? 
Paul wanted to see the conversion of sinners, absolutely, but he also wanted to edify the church. You could say Paul's goal was to see salvation as well as sanctification. Paul wanted to see lives changed, people put their faith in Jesus Christ, be born again. But he also wanted to see the church mature, grow in their faith, be sanctified. As you know, the word means to be holy. He wants to see the Lord work and change their lives of the church. The believers are already there. Folks, sadly, we live in a time today where many churches miss this. Many churches today have weekly messages that are nothing more than devotionals. They're what I call sermonettes. And then what do they do after that? They share the gospel with the same people month after month after month and year after year. And therefore, the church is about an inch deep, spiritually speaking. Christians gather to worship the Lord on a Sunday morning. Christians, this is a worship service, right? That means Christians gathering. This isn't a group of the Lions Club. This is Christians gathering to worship the Lord. Certainly, a non-believer is more than welcome to come in, but nothing's going to be changed because of that. Christians gather to worship the Lord on Sunday morning. And how many people in some of these churches leave literally starving to death because the word of God has not been proclaimed by their pastor? Well, Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, understands differently. Yes, the gospel must be shared to the non-believer but growth, maturity, sanctification must happen in the church. And that will happen only when the word of God is proclaimed without compromise. You see both of these with the Apostle Paul. I want to edify. This letter is meant to edify, to build up the church. This letter is not one big gospel presentation. There's a lot of doctrine and theology going on in this letter. And he wrote many letters. See? There's two sides of that. There's the salvation of the soul, but there's the maturity, the teaching of the Word of God that gets in us and changes us. And I think we don't want to miss that, and we understand that so many places don't do that today. I, I thought this week, and, I, and look, I'm nobody special. You all know that. But I, I really do take pride. I, I, I get th I'm thrilled every week when the first thing I say is, open your Bibles. I don't think any pastor should say anything different. Lastly, here in verses 14 and 15, we'll close with this. Paul says, I am obligated both to Greeks and to non-Greeks, both to the wise and to the foolish. That's basically a parallelism. This is why I am so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. As you know, as we have pointed out in Scripture in the last few weeks, Paul was an apostle to who? The Gentiles. Paul was an apostle to the Gentiles. That being said, Paul always felt that in his apostolic office, he is obligated to share the gospel to all people, okay? 
Does he pursue the Gentiles? Yes, he does. But if you are a Jewish person who will live, uh, who will listen, you better get ready because Paul is going to share the good news of Jesus Christ with you. He doesn't say, I'm sorry, you're not a a Gentile. Go to somebody else. Go see Peter. He'll, He'll share it with anybody who will listen. Here, in these last two verses, Notice how Paul says he uses the word Greeks and non-Greeks. Or some of you might have the term barbarian. That's tough to be called a barbarian. If Ken was here, Ken thinks I'm tough on him. Some of you might have Greeks and barbarians. Folks, the Greeks uh, use this word of any foreigner. They would use this word barbarian of any foreigner who did not understand the Greek language or who, would, who did not understand Greek culture. Anybody outside of Greek, if you will, that's what they would call them. Anybody who had a foreign language or a strange language, they were called a barbarian. Matter of fact, in Acts chapter 28, when Paul landed on the island of Malta, they were called barbarians because they spoke the dialect of the Phoenician language, okay? So it's kind of say, if you're not Greek, you ain't nothing, you're a barbarian. This is kind of how that mindset that they had. For Paul, he was obligated to all Gentiles without distinction. It didn't matter. As Vincent says, he says, Paul felt he owes them his life, his person, in virtue of the grace that was bestowed on him and the office which he received. In other words, because of that, Paul was not about to show any partiality, period. I owe the gospel message to anyone and everyone who's going to listen. Call them whatever you'd like to call them. He closes and he says, that's why I'm eager to go to Rome. Paul says, I'm going to Rome. I've got my notes. I'm ready to share Christ. I'm ready to encourage the church. I'm ready to teach and equip people. I don't want to see the church an inch deep. I want to help this church. I want to build up this church. He wants churches like this one where he thanks God that their faith is being reported all over the world. Folks, the gospel is the great equalizer because every human being is equally lost without it and yet each one is equally saved with it. doesn't matter. Call a person a barbarian or look at somebody who's of nobility in Rome, the city, the head of the known world at that time. didn't matter to Paul. I want to go to Rome. I want to share the gospel. I want to equip the church. That is my calling to you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, that we can go through this text today and and just get a feel for Paul's desire to go to Rome. Many times we read these, these books in Scripture, Philippians, Ephesians, Galatians. Paul is many times started these churches and been there at these churches. He, he didn't leave just yet. He stood there. He equipped them. He actually went back a second time. But here, Lord, Paul has never been to Rome outside of being jailed there. 
He didn't start the church. He's never been there, but he would love to go there. He always looked for opportunities to share the gospel, to encourage other believers, to equip other believers. Lord, nobody in this room is an apostle, but Lord, we too can always look at the outside world as a place we can share truth to, a friend, an opportunity to share the gospel with. It doesn't matter who they are, where they're from, what color skin they have, what language they speak. It doesn't matter. Lord, as this was Paul's very life, Lord, make us have that heart as well, a heart for other people, a heart that's not selfish. As I mentioned earlier, somebody obviously who prays for other people, but Lord, somebody who looks for those opportunities. I know it's difficult. You don't just walk up to somebody in the grocery store. Hey, do you know Jesus? But Lord, help our conversation uh, to be geared toward sharing with people. Maybe it's just an encouragement to somebody, whatever it may be. But guide us, Lord, as we would be used by you to build up other believers and to share the gospel of Christ for your glory, for their benefit. Lord, somebody at one time shared Jesus with us. Many, many times people have encouraged us, blessed us, taught us, equipped us. And Lord, may we, if you will, return the favor. In Jesus' name, amen.